0: Let us open up the Scriptures together. If you'll grab your Bible. If you need a Bible, look there in front of you, grab the Pew Bible, and turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 30. The question that we're asking today as we approach the text, and really the question that comes forth from the text do you bear a true testimony of Jesus? There are many people who say they know Jesus. Many people who say they love Jesus. Many people who say they follow Jesus. The question I have for all of us in the room today is do you bear a true testimony of Jesus? So we're in John chapter five to give you a little bit of context. Last week we were looking At a conversation Jesus was having with the religious leaders, the Jews, they're upset because Jesus healed a man who was an invalid for 38 years, told him to roll up his mat that he had been lying there on for 38 years, and he says, walk, go. This was on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders did not like this. They considered it a work that should not be done on the Sabbath, and so Jesus enters into this conversation with the religious elite. So that's the background that gives you the audience, those who are surrounding Jesus, those whom Jesus is speaking to as we read this today. So, John chapter 5, starting in verse 30. Read with me. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because i seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me if i alone bear witness about myself my testimony is not true there is another who bears witness about me and i know that the testimony that he bears about me is true you sent john and he is born witness The truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray together. Father, may we believe your words. As we come to the scriptures, may we see Jesus. Father, I pray against preconceived ideas and notions that come from the heart of man as we enter the scriptures today. May those vanish. May they be put away by your grace. And may we see the scriptures as they are. May we not try to manipulate, twist the scriptures in order to fit our life, to fit our ideas, our ideals of life. May we receive them as they are. We pray that your word will cut us, that it will slice away the flesh so that the spirit within us may grow. So that we may desire the things of the spirit and hate the things of the flesh. But this is impossible if the word is not first planted within us. Father, plant your word within us today. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that it may grow. I pray for those in this room that do not bear a true testimony of Jesus. Reveal it to them today, Father. May they repent, and may they trust in Christ, and may they joyfully bear testimony that he is indeed the Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You have a seat. One of my hobbies in life is to do yard work. I love yard work. We moved to a new home last year. And the deal we made is that we would not touch anything in the yard, that being bushes, plants. Uh, We would just allow them to grow for a year so that we could kind of uh, get an in-depth look on how everything is laid out around the yard. The people before us and the people before them and how they planted everything so we would not uproot something that was good and needed to be there. So it's been a year and we've been doing yard work on the weekends and sometimes during the week. And I enjoy being out in the yard. I enjoy the sweat and the toil that comes along with uprooting and planning something new. And to uh, our right side in the backyard, uh, which borders uh, our yard from the neighbor's yard, there's just this huge overgrowth. And not long ago, a beautiful gardenia, uh, I love saying that word, gardenia, was uh, blooming. Smells wonderful. I don't know, there's something about a gardenia that just reminds me of childhood. Just takes me back, man. But I've noticed that the gardenia had been covered over with a bunch of ivy, that being poison ivy. And it was connected to this huge uh, overgrown brush of just stuff. Um, Pine tree branches that had fallen in, ivy everywhere. It looked like one massive overgrown bush. And I told Curry I said, "I'm, I'm going to just go check it out. So I took my cloppers with me. And I made one cut and then two cuts. This was before work, by the way. I had planned just to walk out there. And before I know it, I'm starting to pull stuff out. My neighbor comes out in the yard to go feed his dog. He says, man, you're getting started early today. I said, I I just intended to come take a look, but I'm fascinated with what may be underneath all of this. And so I stopped, came into work. It got to be five o'clock. And there was one thing on my mind. What's underneath all that growth? Called the wife, they were uh, out with the kids. She was out with the kids, and I said, Okay, I'm coming home. I'm gonna attack it. And I did. For four hours I went after this thing. When I was finished, I had piles upon piles of, of brush. And what stood there were five mature bushes: a gardenia, camellia, and three azalea bushes. And I thought, wow, man, it's nice and clean. There's potential. And I got to thinking about a few things. It wasn't enough to plant these bushes and just leave them and expect that these bushes would look like they did on the little card when you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or any other nursery. Oh, man, I want some of that. I'm just going to plant it and, and not show it any attention, but yet expect it to look like the beautiful picture on the card. But no, you have to tend to it. You have to prune. You have to care. You have to water. And that's what Jesus is doing here in the book of John. The crowds are all around him. And some of them appear to want what he's saying. They want to follow him. And yet he begins to speak. And as he speaks, he is pruning. He is thinning out the crowds. And for the Jewish leaders they are so covered in their poison ivy, their own ideals, their own religion that they have set up around what is to be pure and undefiled. And yet you can't see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's creation and his restoration because they have crowded it with all other types of stuff. And as Jesus comes along, it's as if he's taking one shoot and then another shoot, and he's pulling it out, and he's cutting away. And the difference between pruning bushes and pruning real lives is that when you prune a real life, it hurts. It's painful. And as Jesus is pruning, there are those around him who do not like it. It's these religious leaders They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what he's standing for. They reject that he's the Messiah. And so we enter into verse 30. He says, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So, in summary from last week, we said that Jesus and the Father are one, as is the Holy Spirit. But the point being made in this passage, in this context, is that the Father, God, and the Son are the same. They work together. So, we had four points from last week the Son possesses sovereign authority, the Son delivers judgment, the Son is due the highest honor. And the son provides eternal life. But not only that, Jesus had the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this was the standard based on the Old Testament to, to bear witness, to bear the truth. You had witnesses around you, two or three witnesses to say, amen. Yes, indeed, this is true. And in this very passage, we see it. Verse 32 through 35. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. Paul's right there. We may think that he's talking about John the Baptist because in verse 33, he begins to talk about John the Baptist. But he's saying, I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. I'm relying upon this testimony. It's believed that what he's speaking here of first is the father. But we'll come back to the father. But verse 33, you sent to John and he is born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So the first witness is John the Baptist. John the Baptist gave testimony unto Jesus. But Jesus did not have to depend on John the Baptist to establish who he was in his own mind, meaning when we receive affirmation from somebody It's a good thing. It's an encouragement. It helps us to know that we're traveling on the right path. But Jesus did not need this from John the Baptist to go, oh, thank you, John the Baptist. Now I know that I'm doing the right thing. No, it was just affirmation for all of those who were around to say, this is the son of God. So much like when people followed Moses out into the wilderness, they were impressed with the miracles of John the Baptist, but they did not yield to God. They liked what John the Baptist was preaching. They liked that a Messiah was to come. They just didn't like the Messiah when he came. John the Baptist was there to bear witness about the Messiah, that being Jesus the Christ. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So, the second witness is the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus gave testimony that he indeed was the Christ. How would they know? Just watch his life. He is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together working as God. He is God in the flesh, Jesus the Son. Everything that he does is what the Father approves of. So he's saying, My works bear witness. But then there's number three, verse 37. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. He's saying that God the father gives testimony. My father, the one you say that you worship, he bears testimony. So if you're worshiping him, then you must agree that I am the Messiah. But if you reject what he says, you're rejecting that I'm and indeed the Messiah. Verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, this would not be well received. Let's talk about these religious leaders for a moment. It was their life to be in the scriptures. Their life, their livelihood, their reputation, their everything was in knowing the scriptures. And Jesus is saying you don't know the scriptures. Because you do not have his word abiding in you. You may have it in your mind, but it has not penetrated into your hardened heart. And because of that, you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You do not believe me. If you really believe the scriptures, you would believe in Jesus. So I want to give you a few points. I believe there's five that go along with this question, do you bear a true testimony of Jesus? And as I make these points, I want you to to examine your life by them because this is a real question for everyone in this room, whether you've been in the local church all of your life or you've just been in the local church the last couple of years or the last couple of months. Do you bear a true testimony of Jesus because these religious leaders of the day, the elite did not. They did not. Number one, sinful man does not believe because the word is not in him. That's what we get from this passage. Sinful man does not believe in the Christ because the word is not in him. You do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You see, that's the evidence that the word's not in them because they do not believe in Jesus. It's not that they didn't believe in Jesus, so no, no longer is the word in them. No, the word is not in them, so they do not believe the word in the flesh. That being Jesus, it was not a picture of Joshua one eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. Well, they wanted the law, but they wanted it for knowledge, not to know God, but to be known by man. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, if they had the real word in their heart, then as they stand before Jesus, they would receive him. But that they were rejecting Christ means that their sin. We say there's only one thing that can drive out sin in our lives, and that is the word. There's no other replacement. The Word of God pierces our very being, performing divine surgery and giving us life. Has the Word of God performed divine surgery on your heart? Has it cut away the flesh? Has it pruned so that something healthy may grow? Has it exposed what's been underneath all the brush all this time? That's what the word does. It exposes us. It tears away. It cuts off in order that we may bear a true testimony of Jesus. The sinful man does not believe because the word is not in him, which means that if you do believe, that means the word is within you. What does man need? What does woman need? The word of God. More than anything, the word of God. I don't know what's on your radar, what's on your to-do list, your priority list for this week, but I hope at the very top, the thing that you need the most is the word of God piercing your heart. And that's the problem of these men that are standing around Jesus. They have not been pierced by the word. And then verse 39 He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So it was their hobby, as we said, their livelihood to know the scriptures because the more they knew of the scriptures, they felt like it was that knowledge which gave them life. Number two, sinful man does not see Jesus in the scriptures. Now I know that Some of these may seem quite simple, but when you began to really contemplate it measure your life, when you read scripture, do you see Jesus in the scriptures? Or do you always start with yourself? Are you always looking for the benefit of you? If that's the case, then we have certain places of scripture we like to go to, and there are other places we don't dare to tread. Because we don't want to read all of the Bible if we begin with ourselves in the scriptures. But if we begin with Jesus, then we'll venture all throughout the word of God. Translated, he says, you think that you will be received for your knowledge of the scriptures. You say you know the scriptures, but you do not know me. What does this mean? It means they do not really know the scriptures. Oh, sure. They could quote it. They had a numerical system where they could find exact passages. Oh, they were professionals in and quoting the word, but they did not know the word. Take away the world's security, and they must answer this, who is God and who is Jesus? You see, their security blanket was in knowing the scriptures, but when it came to the real question of who is the Messiah, they didn't know. Even when he was standing right in front of them, When he says search the scriptures, that's not merely to read. The Greek word is used in connection with hunting. It's stalking the tracks of the prey. It's following the tracks. And yet here they are following and they're looking, but they do not see Christ. Which means this. You can read the Bible all your life. You can memorize the Bible. And yet not see Christ. It's things like this when when somebody says, hey, are you a follower of Christ? Somebody says, yes, I've always believed. I don't think you understood the question. The question was, are you a follower of Christ? Yes, I've always believed in Christ. If you really think that you've always believed in Christ, you do not know the scriptures. Can't tell you how many times I hear that. In conversations in this area, yes, I've always believed in Jesus. I've always known Jesus. I've always followed Jesus. No, you haven't, and no, I haven't, because we come from a line of sinners, and this we see in the scriptures. This type of thought is for those who would reject the Book of Romans. Read the Romans. And you're going to get a grasp, but no, you have not always believed in Jesus. If we're going to bear a true testimony about Jesus, it ought to begin with this. Do you follow Christ? Yes, I do. When did you begin following Christ? There was a period in my life when I began to hear the name of Jesus. Or you know what? I can't tell you an exact time frame, but I know that ever since I was a child, I've heard the name of Jesus. Now, those are good answers. But to say that we've always believed is simply not true. We're not automatically Christians because we were born into a Christian home or because we've been raised in the local church. We did not just morph into a Christian because those around us were Christians. No, there had to be a day in which we died to us and trusted in Jesus. The question is, have you died to yourself and do you trust in Christ? These men thought that they were good based on their knowledge of the scriptures, yet they did not know the scriptures. What keeps people from searching the scriptures? Let's just go ahead and throw the first one out there, shall we? Laziness. Wouldn't you say that laziness keeps us out of the word? We say it's too much work to get into the Bible, too much... To understand, I don't know enough, and yet, so in order to understand more, we just put the Bible down. That will never work. It will never work. Here's another reason preconceived opinions about the Bible. Whether you're a Calvinist, whether you're reformed in your theology, whether you're a free will Arminian, whether you're a Biblicist, whatever terminology that you would like to throw out there, you do not begin with that and then approach the scriptures. You approach the scriptures and from the scriptures comes your belief. Amen. I know there's a lot of words that we like to throw out there and a lot of words that can be put on this place. Let me tell you, we believe in the scriptures. We will preach the scriptures. We love the scriptures. We cherish the scriptures. We do not believe that you approach the scriptures with a preconceived idea, maybe how you were raised in your home. This is how my mom taught me. This is how my dad taught me. This is how my grandmother believed. This is what my pastor used to always say. Those are preconceived opinions coming to the word of God. These men already had preconceived opinions of what God should be. And so when God stood before them, they didn't recognize him. May that not be us. Because we begin with the scriptures. Let's not come with who we want Jesus to be and then read the scriptures from that lens, but may we see Jesus for who he is as we read through Christ. It could be just the love of flesh and the hatred of Christ, loving our sin. Loving sin keeps us from the Bible. When we sin, it's not that it just... Is disobedience to God. Think about this. When you sin, it keeps you from praying. When you sin, it keeps you from fasting. When you sin, it keeps you from the scriptures. When you sin, it keeps you from memorizing scripture. When you sin, it keeps you from telling other people about Jesus, does it not? In sin, we cannot do those things faithfully. It drives us away from the word. As I love the saying, sin keeps us from this book, but this book will keep us from sin. We need the Bible. We need the word to drive out sin. And we must see Jesus in the scriptures. But we will not see Jesus in the scriptures if we come with our preconceived ideas of who Jesus is, who God is, who we want God to be. We must trust the scriptures as they reveal who he truly is. And then verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Sinful man refuses to come to Jesus for eternal life. I wanna say that again. Sinful man refuses to come to Jesus for eternal life. Not only does he just have a distaste for it, he refuses. Where does that come from? Jesus says it. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Why do they refuse to come to Jesus? Because of the sin that is within them. They were religious and self-righteous but they would not follow Christ. They refused to come not due to a lack of evidence, but a perverse understanding of the scriptures. That's why they would not come to Jesus. You see, we can be all about the right things, yet approach them with the wrong motive. Church is the right thing. Reading the scriptures is the right thing. Memorizing scripture is the right thing. But we can do all of those things with wrong motives. These men did all of these things with the wrong motive. They came into the synagogue with the wrong motive. They approached the scriptures with the wrong motive. And Jesus is going to call them out. We're going to see why. But I love what Kent Hughes says The Bible is not an end in itself, but it is a window through which we can learn marvelous truths about God and Jesus Christ. A marvelous window. This past weekend, my wife uh, started a new task on our back porch. She was painting the outside doors. They look beautiful, babe. They look beautiful. And she got a scraper, and she began to scrape around the window panes, and there's a bunch of uh, filth and grime because we're just dirty people. No, it's just been neglected for a little while, and and we needed to take care of it. There she is scraping the windows. And before you say, hey, Brian, where were you in all of this? I have one word for you. Gardenia. There you go. (laughs) There you go. I know where you were going with that. Gardenia. So there she is. She's cleaning and she paints the doors and she says, hey, come, come look. And I'm like, man, babe, (laughs) that looks good. I love it. I mean, it pops, you know, it adds a lot. It's it's a good feature. It was a great idea. You know, I'm affirming what she's done because I believe it, it's good. And that I better affirm it because that would not be good. But it was, it was, it was a good word. Now, the next day we were out on the back porch and she said, doesn't it look good? And I said, it, it does, it looks great. It looks really good. And I don't mind doing that. I mean, it, she worked hard. Of course, we should celebrate and give affirmation, but, but it would be really weird if a week from now, my wife says, hey, hun, do don't the doors look great? Don't you like around the windows? Don't you like what I did? Don't you like how I scraped around the windows? Just look, just look how clean they are. Just, just look how clean they are. And if she did that a month later, I'd be like, babe, I think you're missing the point of the windows. The windows are made to look through. And so many times we get caught up on the window pane the framing of the window that we never look through the window to see the beauty of the gospel and that window is Christ and these men were so busy building the framework of what they thought the Messiah should be they never looked through the window to see the beauty of redemption of restoration of life eternal that can only be in Christ Are you looking through the window? Everything that you're doing in life, are you seeing it through Christ? Or do you only see it through Christ on Sunday? Everything that you say is it done through Christ? Or is it only done through Christ on Sunday? Jesus is calling these men out. He says, You're not looking through the window. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. You refuse to see. Oh, how we need the grace of God. Verse 41. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have a love of God within you. Now, if there's any statement that Jesus would make that would sting, it's this one. Now we get why these men wanted to kill Jesus. Because he's saying, you don't even love God. Everybody in this community thinks that you love God. But as God's standing before you, I'm telling you, you do not love God. We can fool everyone, even fooling ourselves. But the one who determines whether we really love God or not is God himself. God knows. And these men did not love God. Sinful man does not glorify Christ because the love of God is not in him. This gets hard for us because we like to give man the benefit of the doubt because he does a lot of good works. Man's capable of doing many good works. Man is capable of caring for his neighbor. Man is capable of being a hero in dire circumstances. Man is capable of walking the sweet little lady across the street and doing it with kindness. But man is not capable of glorifying God in his flesh. It's not just this hard to do, it is impossible to do. So with this, Christ rejects the simple opinions of man. You say, well, I like to think of Jesus in this way, that he's loving and that he's not judgmental. The father was the judgmental one in the Old Testament and Jesus is the one who loves in the New Testament. I don't like to hear of Jesus being a judge. I don't like to hear of Jesus condemning. I don't want to think of Jesus that way. It doesn't matter your opinion. It does not matter my opinion. What matters is that the word of God is in us so that we think rightly about God. Question, is the word of God within you? And are you thinking rightly about God? Because you don't want to be wrong on this. You do not want to be wrong on this. I do not want to be wrong on this. And before you go there and say, when I was 13 years old, I prayed, I was saved, I got baptized, I think I'm good. I would not stand on that. I don't think that's going to hold. You better be very careful of standing there. What you stand on is the faithfulness of Christ every day in your life. Where are you right now? Are you faithfully following Jesus? Not just something that maybe someone in the past told you, you do these things, you're good for life. No, the evidence is your life in Christ. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Sinful man receives the glory of man but rejects the glory of God. You receive glory from one another. You do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Sinful man receives glory of man but rejects the glory of God. He will do everything that is pleasant to his flesh until it comes to truly glorifying God, making it all about God. What about you? Are we too busy glorifying one another or are we glorifying God? If we glorify God, that means we approach each other and we confess sin. We call out sin in one another's lives. Do you know how uncomfortable that gets? Do you know how unfriendly that is? If we really do that, do you know what that may mean for some of the friendships you have? And if we're sitting here going, I'm not sure if I can do that, is it because you're glorifying self instead of glorifying God? I don't want you to mistake this when you read it and go, yeah, that's easy, glorify God. Sing praise songs and Confess that he is Lord. No, it means every area of your life is being pruned and cut away so that you will have true growth in the gospel. And for these men, as Jesus is speaking this, they're thinking, okay, you're going to judge us right here and now. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses. Moses. And as soon as he mentions the name Moses, I imagine their jaws drop because they knew all about Moses. They thought if anybody would be proud of them, it would be Moses. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you don't believe that Jesus is in the Old Testament, you won't believe the Jesus of the New Testament. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I've been here all along, and yet you do not believe, and you don't even believe the words of Moses. So what do we need? We need the word of God. We desperately need the word of God. This morning, when we were in community group, uh, I, was, I was confessing to the group, and, and others were given some confession to of areas in our lives, and We're just talking about the need to pause, the need to pause and read the word. Before our children, as they're busy and we wanna be present in the home, but yet we're wondering when is the right time to pause everything and read the word. But then we took it a step further to say that, you know what, it is important that when we read the word, that we would not read the word on our computers, that we would not read the word on our smartphones, that we would not read the word on our tablets, and there you go, oh, Brian, he's anti-technology. No, those are good things. But when your kids see you doing that, they think, oh, they're surfing the web again. Oh, they're on their phone again. Oh, can I have a phone? I want to play with a phone. Ooh, what would I do without a phone? And all of a sudden, that's what they're thinking. They're not thinking, they need the word. This posture ought to be very familiar in our homes. seeking out the word of God, opening up a hard copy of the Bible ought to be something that is an everyday activity in our lives as we follow Christ. Why? We want to bear a true testimony of Christ. And we're not going to bear a true testimony of Christ if we put this word away. And it just sits there what we're going to do is we're going to bear a testimony of our own glory and we're going to constantly need the approval of others, the pat on the back, am I doing a good job? Let the word cut all of that off and glorify God. That gardenia is going to be so beautiful next year when it's not covered with ivy and pine branches and whatever else was growing in there. It's going to be nurtured. It's going to be cared for. For your life and the lives of those around you that you're responsible for, we're not naturally just going to grow into the beauty of Christ Jesus. It takes nurturing, watering, pruning, and the Word of God. You may be frustrated right now because of activity of your children. It doesn't happen naturally, guys. Keep pruning. Keep reading. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep watering. Don't stop keep pulling weeds doesn't happen naturally. What's natural is the overgrowth of sin. That's natural. We're in a fight every day to bear a true testimony of Jesus Christ. May it be so in our homes, in our work, in our areas of play. May we bear a true testimony today If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pause and just say that he is the only way to the Father because he's the only one who went to the cross for you and shed his blood that would cover your sin. Today, would you place your trust that Jesus is the Messiah and would you follow him? Right now where you're sitting, would you... Call upon the Lord and say, Lord, I repent. I am a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. Did you make the good confession that Jesus is Lord? I believe it's important that we pause and that we ask this question. How can we close this message today without asking this question for you? Not the one sitting beside you, but for you. Are you growing in the gospel? Or is your life overgrown with sin? Are you mastered by sin? Would you repent of that sin and trust in Christ as Savior today and be saved? If you do, check on that card and say, I want to know more about following Christ. Come talk to us in a time that we're about to sing or right after the service and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I guarantee you there's nothing more important than that. Nothing more important. Trust in Christ today. Christians in the room this week let's bear true testimony and may it come from the word of God which means we're in the word of God and we're trusting the word of God let's pray Father thank you for a message that is very straightforward what I believe to be very plain very precise. Whatever overgrowth of sin we may have, prune it away, Father. And those of us who are not in Christ, save us. Make us a new creation in Christ Jesus today. May nothing else matter in this moment but where we stand before Christ Jesus. Are we standing in Christ or are we standing in our own flesh? May every man, woman, and child that is able to examine their lives based on that do it right now. Am I standing in Christ? Am I standing in the flesh? May we bear a true testimony for what a joy that we can be made new. Sing a song of victory in Christ to proclaim the Jesus of the scriptures. May we be unashamed of the gospel, bold in our faith, daring as we go forth as we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.